All right. So, here's how we're going to begin. Uh, we are going to be taught. We're, this is a, a teaching series. We know it's Sunday afternoon. Again, this is just, this is not the new norm. We have no idea what the new norm looks like, but we thought, you know what? We need to do some more teaching. Let's find some time, a, a little space that we can do this. So for the next three Sundays, including today, next Sunday, the following Sunday, so just a commitment to three Sunday afternoons, uh, we're going through some really, really important stuff uh, of union with Jesus, justification, and sanctification. Those are really, really, really big, important doctrines, really, really big, important teachings in the church uh, that need to be taught on just kind of like systematically. Uh, we, You know, they come up in sermons and things like that, but they also just need to be treated uh, in depth uh, in kind of one go. Or we could do a four-part series on union, no problem. This is a brief treatment on union with Christ Next Sunday is going to be a very brief treatment of justification, and the following Sunday will be a brief treatment of sanctification. Okay? Um, so, here we go. I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we will uh, we'll jump in. Father, uh, we do thank you for uh, a place like this, resources like this, uh, to get together and to jump into your word, to talk about most wonderful things. We pray that you would bless our time in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. So, uh, after college, I, uh, I was in a uh, Bible study with a group of guys who have led Bible studies, like, you know, since they were in high school and in college, you know, some are my age, some are a little older, a couple are definitely older, you know, just that, that scene where, man, we're going to do, this is going to be like an all-star Bible study. Uh, cause you know, we all know each other and we know this stuff. Let's get into it. Let's go deep. Uh, and a new guy came to the Bible study with us one night and uh, in the middle of it, he just, he asked a simple question. He said, hey, y'all, we keep saying this. Uh, what does it mean to be, quote, in Christ? What is that in Christ? What does that mean? And all the seasoned Bible study leaders looked at each other. We didn't say anything. <laughs> we didn't say anything. And then, because we, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. It just, it means in Christ. Uh it is such a good question and one we do not think about. Uh, one, the church really doesn't talk about a, a whole, whole lot. They're starting to more and more. I think one guy at the very end jokingly said, uh, it's a mystery. But he said it's a mystery in like in that joking, I don't know kind of sense. But that it does bring up a really good point of it's a mystery because when you hear that word mystery, I mean, what do you all think of when you hear mystery? You think... Oh, okay. No, that's the wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's the right answer, but come on. That's not the answer. Like you think Trinity, you, you think of, that's like a Bible mystery outside of like the Bible, outside of like the church, we hear mystery and we think a uh, problem that uh, needs to be solved. Uh, something that needs to be uncovered. Uh, something we don't know yet, but maybe we'll know at some point. That's actually not how the Bible uses the word mystery. The way the Bible uses the word mystery is what Chris was just saying, like things about like the Trinity of things that actually have been revealed that used to be hidden and used to be unknown, but now have come to be known and revealed in the scriptures. That's mystery. So uh, this New Testament scholar, uh, Dick Gaffin says this, he says, 
He says, what this does is it sets boundaries. You know, the the idea, the biblical understanding of mystery sets boundaries on, a, on how we are to address things that ultimately are beyond our comprehension, that are ultimately beyond our capacity to understand, but something that we can know something about. And this thing, this matter of union with Jesus is a mystery in that sense, like the Trinity, like the Incarnation taking us into matters that none of us can ever really fully know comprehensively comprehensively but things we can I'm getting all tangled but things we can definitely know and about and things that we can definitely know about and things that we need to talk about in ways that are faithful to the scriptures okay it's like I got long hair or something I'm trying to get off of me um here are my sources Dick Gaffin, Richard Gaffin, is a huge source for me on this. He's got four lectures that are super well known in like kind of the reformed world about union. They're they're super in depth. They may be, you know, you may take them as long winded, but Richard Gaffin, his union lectures, I can get those for you. I'm ripping off a ton of his stuff today, but you know, in a very condensed version. Uh, a guy named Meredith Klein, who's an Old Testament scholar. Uh, a guy named Michael Horton, who's a New Testament scholar. Lane Tipton, systematics guy. And that old guy, John Calvin. There's 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 good stuff out there about union. There's bad stuff out there about union. This is, again, this is a brief kind of intro treatment to it. Um, and here's how we're going to deal with it. We're going to run to the scriptures. So listen to this passage from Colossians uh, chapter 1. Paul says this, this is Paul the Apostle writing. He says, uh, of the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the the Bible reveals right here in Colossians, in the New Testament, that Christ, that Jesus dwells in the church and that he dwells in each believer. That's union. And Paul says that's the mystery that God has revealed after it was hidden for ages and ages. Uh, let me say this too. At any point, you want to raise your hand. This is like, I, this is why I love teaching like stuff versus preaching stuff is, this is kind of open forum of you get to ask questions. You get to raise your hand, interject. You can throw stuff at me, uh, throw your chair, storm off. It's, it's that kind of teaching series. Um, so raise your hand, pause. If you want, I'll, I'll probably, I mean, we're early on here, right? I'm, I'm probably going to answer questions that you <laughs> Tim. Yeah, you got a question. Okay. So, does that really Good. Let's talk about that. Here we go. Ready? This is in John. So in John Cal, John Calvin, he was a 16th century reformer, one of those big guys, reformer in Geneva. Uh, and he wrote this magnum opus of Institutes of the Christian Religion. How he starts this thing, it's like his, his it's not a systematic theology, blah, 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 who cares? There's just a lot of stuff on theology. It's just not what we, they would consider today a, a systematic thing. But he starts off this two-part, this, this two-volume huge thing talking about how Jesus has accomplished salvation. Like, what did he do to accomplish it? And then the next part, he talks about, okay, how does that apply to us? Like, Jesus did it, so how do we get what he did? And this is what Calvin says. 
He says, first, he's talking about, okay, how do we get what he did? He says, first, we must understand that as long as Jesus remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered, all that he has done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. So what Calvin is pointing up is, if you are not united to Jesus, Jesus means nothing to you. Jesus is of no value to you if you are not united to him. What does that mean? This this expression, this union with Christ thing. Sorry, that's the wind. Uh, The expression, it's one of those things of that expression, union with Jesus, is never in the Bible. You don't see it. Other things you never see in the Bible, Trinity, uh, you don't see incarnation, these other mysteries. You don't see those words in the Bible. This is what they teach you in seminary. Don't commit the word thing fallacy. The word's not there. The concept is. The thing is there. It's really clear in scripture uh, that human beings, we are creations of God. We are made in the image of God. It means we're supposed to live in fellowship in communion with God. That was true for Adam and Eve at the beginning. You'll know this. They were in covenant. They were in fellowship. They were in union with God. They were to love God. They were to be loved by him. They're supposed to fulfill uh, all these commands, but then they sin. Adam and Eve sin. They rebel against God. They do what he forbids. They don't do what he commands. Uh, and sin, so you're all going to hear some of this wind, sorry. Sin destroys fellowship with God. Sin destroys communion with God. Sin destroys union with God. Breaks union with God. And the Bible says, this is what, this is kind of a tease of what we're going to be talking about the next two times. The Bible says there are two fundamental consequences of sin. One is that sin affects our status before God. So now you are guilty before God because of sin. You're inexcusably guilty. You're liable now to God's wrath, deserving eternal condemnation. Okay, that's one. That's status. The other consequence of sin is that sin affects your condition. So your status and your condition. Uh, conditions like our, our, our conduct. It affects your disposition. Uh, our uh, makeup as, as people. Sin affects that, uh, uh, our condition, and it leaves us thoroughly corrupt. Like we are corrupt through and through because of sin. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, he said, sin renders us slaves to sin, slaves to the devil. Sin, uh, sin leaves us utterly helpless. And then in Ephesians 2, that's Romans 6. In Ephesians 2, he goes uh, even more extreme, and he says, as sinners left to ourselves on our own, sin renders us dead. Dead in our trespasses and sin. And you can't get more helpless than being dead. So... Uh, in response to our sin, God comes as Savior, and he comes to restore, he comes to perfect the life and the communion that's been lost, to restore our union between him and us. And, and just follow me here. That's that, that salvation, that gospel, it's first revealed, it's first promised in, in Genesis 3. Remember, God shows up. He says, to the, he says to the serpent, oh man, you're in such trouble. Not in these words, just paraphrasing. You big, big trouble. Like uh, a, a seed of the woman is going to come and he's going to crush your head and you're going to crush his heel. 
Okay, that right there is the gospel. Like, that's the promise of salvation. And Adam and Eve are sitting there like, praise God, he's going to save us. How is that going to work, Eve? I don't know. What did you, like, do you get it? No, I don't know. Like, it's going to be your, your seed. Maybe it's our next son. And, you know, their children are born like, okay, how are we going to get saved? Well, here's what we know. You know, we know this. So the promise is in like this infant stage form. Well, as scripture goes along, uh, as God's people grow, the promise gets fuller and fuller. More and more is revealed about this salvation. Genesis with Abraham, Israel, more and more and more, God is revealing more and more of his plan until you get to the New Testament and then we see it. It's climatically revealed that what salvation really is, is it all is accomplished and applied through union with Jesus. So union with Christ is kind of, it's this big, huge, uh, this is the climactic revelation of, of, of uh, climactic revelation of salvation uh, is this super duper revelation in New Testament that this covenantal bond between God and his people, it's really accomplished through union with Jesus himself. This is what you read about over and over and over with those phrases in the Bible of in Christ, with Jesus. Okay, um, now here's the, that's simple, but it's not that simple. Here's how gloriously wonderful it is uh, and big. There, uh, this thing of in Christ, it is, it's all encompassing, meaning it extends from eternity to eternity. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 4, even as he has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world is, that's from eternity to eternity, glorification. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, in Christ, we will be made alive with the light that comes from the resurrection of the body. So talk about union. I want to point up just some helpful distinctions. These are going to be helpful distinctions, but this is where we, this is like, we're going to go deep, deep, deep here for two minutes. And then we'll, we'll, we'll come back up for air. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4. Even as he has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Okay, that is the predestinarian in Christ. That's getting at union in Christ via, through predestination. Who here loves predestination? Yay, we all love predestination. You should. It's awesome. We love predestination. Um, this, but this is the, the predestination, predestinarian in Christ that union begins with our election in eternity and it continues to eternity, still future, uh, when we will be united with Christ in glory in the final consummation of our salvation. Now, I'm not going to spend I'm not going to spend any time on election or predestination because in two Sundays I'm going to do a whole sermon about it because it's in it's in Second Thessalonians. So <laughs> next Sunday is uh, next Sunday is all about um, the Antichrist and Jesus' second coming. Uh, the Sunday after that is all about predestination and election. Yay! Fun stuff the next two Sundays. Um, okay, then there's the uh, what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, we were crucified with Christ. Did you hear that? We were crucified with Christ. We were buried and we were raised with Christ. This is what <clears throat> scholars call, specifically uh, Richard Gaffney says, this is the redemptive historical 
union with Christ, the redemptive historical in Christ, that there is this union that is involved in our being contemplated one with Jesus when he actually accomplished our salvation. So when he was crucified, when he was buried, when he was raised, when he ascended into heaven, in our union with Jesus, Jesus is our representative substitute. So this is, uh, this is what the, when you, every time you hear me say like, this is what Christ has done for us. He's done this for you, for me. That's the redemptive historical union with Jesus. Okay, so you got predestinarian union, redemptive historical union, and this is, <clears throat> Gaffin needs to come up with a better term, or I guess, I could, uh, th- then there's application union with Jesus. So the union of application is being in Christ in our actual possession of salvation. This is, the, this is that Calvin quote. Like, unless you have Jesus, he's of no use to you. This is the application union. So Romans 16, 7 says this. Paul says, greet, and this is, there are so many verses. I think this one's just the most interesting. He says, greet uh, Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. He says they were in Christ before me means Paul recognizes that there was a time when he was still outside of Jesus, the time when he was an unbeliever. So what, what we're just pointing up here is there are these really super helpful distinctions between like what that the Bible makes between these different aspects of union with Christ. Helpful, super important distinctions, but these are not different unions. There's one union with Jesus, and there are different dimensions, there are different aspects to that one union that we have with Jesus. Um, what I'm going to spend, you know, just the rest of our few minutes together talking about is that third one, application union with Jesus, um, and and justification and sanctification. What we're talking about the next two Sundays, uh, bring that out too. So, this seems obvious, but let's be super obvious. When we talk about union with Jesus, we're talking about union with Jesus. So, where is Jesus right now? Wait, say it really loud. So here we have, and this is good. We had some people doing this. Correct. And we had some, and I want to bring these two together. <laughs> Matt is really wanting me to point up that he, he did this. Uh, so here, yes. And then Ethan said, in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's what you have to bring to, that is what we were talking about when we talk about union with Jesus. That right now, here, You are united to the risen Lord and Savior who is literally sitting at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. That is who you are united to. This is the stuff that is supposed to blow our minds. That after he suffered and died for our sins, he really was raised and he really has ascended. And he is now in the place of permanent rule and glory at the right hand of God, the Father. That is the Jesus you are united with. We share in the benefits of what Christ has done, particularly as he's been crucified, resurrected, and ascended. You are not united to a dead person. 
Francis. That's really good. Yeah. So we're actually coming back to that at the very end. So just as a teaser, where are we going? Francis has already asked it. When when they say when two or three when two or, or more are gathered in my name, there I am. So hold that, put a pin in it, hold that. Where that is literally where we're ending. This is good. Anticipation. What about the Holy Spirit? <laughs> What's his part in it? This is good. That's where we're going in two Sundays with sanctification. <laughs> so this is good. And y'all are, you're tracking, you're tracking. So uh, in most of, let me press on here, in most of the good Christian teaching and thinking, when we think about our salvation, uh, we usually think about Christ. what? We think of, you know, we think about Christ, uh, salvation. We're always talking about Jesus's death on the cross. And I, I, you know, I'm, that's me. I'm right. Like, let's talk about his death on the cross. Let's talk about his crucifixion. Let's talk about his atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is crucial. But we don't often, uh, the church in the church, think about Jesus's resurrection as central to our salvation. Jesus's resurrection is just as essential as his death and atoning sacrifice for our salvation. That usually, because usually what we do, and especially on Easter Sundays, uh, we look at the resurrection as this tremendous truth of the Christian religion. We look at the resurrection as this great encouragement for us. Like, look at how true this is. The guy was raised from the dead. Like, that makes it true. Uh, it's this encouragement to, uh, to us to trust and believe in Jesus. And, and what we do is we just focus on, focus on his death as providing our salvation. But... And Paul talks, if Christ was not raised from the dead, and if we did not share with Christ in being resurrected, then the salvation you have is incomplete and it's no good. Like if Christ has not been raised, you're still dead in your sins. This is Paul. Uh, and here's Paul, and that's 1 Corinthians. Here's Paul. Uh, I want to spend just uh, a few minutes on this passage because this is mind-blowing stuff. Colossians 3, just the first four verses, it says this. Paul says... Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's do some fun grammar. Just brief grammar review. Uh, verse one, since then... You have been raised with Christ. That is what they call a conditional clause. But grammatically, this is not a hypothetical. This is, he's not talking about a hypothetical situation. As in Paul's, like, Paul's not speculating here. This is what they call a realized condition. Conditional clause, but a realized condition. As in this is for real. This is the case. <clears throat> the believer was dead in his sins, but now he's no longer dead. Now the believer, she is alive. <laughs> Paul is talking about literal resurrection in union with Jesus. That's the key to it. So what he says here is that God has already done everything necessary for the believer's salvation in Christ. 
in Christ. The believer has already died. The believer has already risen to new life by God's grace through Jesus's work, not, (laughs) sorry, not ours. So in uniting you to Christ by faith, all that is Jesus's, all that's Christ's, his life, his death, his resurrection, his life in heaven right now, it's yours. You are a new creation in Jesus. In Christ, the believer is raised to new life. And what what I love, the most favorite term that I've heard about this is, your life right now, call it resurrection life, because that's what you have. Uh, and this is why this is so important to, to, to know that you have this already, because we are constantly being misled to believe that we don't have it yet. In our own lives, stuff that we hear, we are constantly misled to believe that we are not yet raised. That Jesus' work is unfinished, that there's uh, more work to be done, and it's up to you to do it. And Paul says that this man-made religion stuff, I mean, another word for this is moralism. But the moralism, the works righteousness stuff, is not the answer to your sin. It's not the answer to your big problem. Jesus is the big answer to your problem. And in your union with Jesus, his victory, it is your victory. And you have victory already right now. If you keep reading, if you keep reading into uh, verse two, it says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. (coughs) Paul, allergies. Paul wants us to remember. He wants us to remember these things lest we forget uh, and lest we are deceived into thinking otherwise. That is because Paul knows, Paul, the way he's, the The way he's pointing this up is he gets it. He gets that new life like this. I have this helicopter coming over. (laughs) Um, Y'all still hear me back there? Okay, good. Uh, Paul understands that this new life, that like such drastic new life saying you have resurrection life like this, he gets it that's really hard. It's really difficult to fully accept and grasp. Uh, in this film, I'm getting, I'm getting water. <coughs> it's a tickle in my throat. <laughs> oh, perfect. So in this film, uh, Shawshank Redemption, um, towards the end, Morgan Freeman, who plays the character Red, uh, he's finally released from prison after like 40 years of being incarcerated. And he has this freedom uh, and, and he's been longing for it. He's been wanting to get out. But, he, but he's also had this big fear because he knows that on the outside, his fears come true of he's been institutionalized. Uh, this new life that he has, it scares him. Uh, and he can't understand this freedom that he's been given and he thinks he still has to, an- he thinks he still has to answer uh, to supervisors to do anything. So he'll ask his new boss if you know he can use the bathroom or if he can do this. And his boss is like, you gotta go, just like go. But he starts to, so he starts to think of ways to break his parole so that they'll send him back to prison uh, because there he's got the security of his cell and, and he's got the guards telling him what to do and what not to do and when to do what. And, and you're thinking, you know, it's really well done. You're thinking in this movie that he's going to give in and then climactically, sorry, if you've not seen it, this has been out forever. 
y'all, come on. Uh, <clears throat> spoiler. Uh, <laughs> he climactically embraces this new life with that great line of get busy living or get busy dying. And and this, this is the call to us is, you know, do you know the new life that you have been given in Christ? The believer has been freed <clears throat> not from sin's influence. We're going to talk more about that with sanctification. <laughs> but you have been freed from the, the enslavement of sin. As in, you're not a slave to it anymore. It's not your slave master. It doesn't own you. Uh, b- because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and ascension, because they really are y- yours, you really are a new creation right now. You have been given the miraculous gift of resurrection life. This is where we could spend a whole other <clears throat> um, talk on this. I'm just going to bring this up, this dichotomy of uh, the uh, what Paul talks about, uh, the inner man and outer man. You know, he'll talk about the heart and the flesh, these two parts to you. It's really true. Your inner man, your inner woman, your inner person you have been raised to new life. And we are now waiting for that resurrection to come. That, you know, resurrection that we really think about when the outer man, the body, uh, I, I don't want to, I want to be careful not to create a dichotomy between body and soul um, uh, because our body and spirit, <laughs> it, it, there's complications there, but just to, I think inner man, outer man is the best one. Because, and that is because when you're when we are raised physically at the end of all things, it's not that you'll be now physically raised just as you've been spiritually raised. You're actually going to be even more spiritually raised at that point too. So that's where the I think inner man, outer man is the best one that Paul gives us. Of your inner man has been raised, and uh, we have got to <laughs> can't get rid of this. <clears throat> Yes. <clears throat> Short answer is yes. Yeah, of of that sin. This is where Paul gets into like Romans 7 stuff of the stuff I want to do, I don't do. And the stuff I, would, I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Who will deliver me from this body of flesh? Uh, and, and so he's getting up this, he's, he's pointing out, we will spend more time on this with the sanctification stuff because this really does get at sanctification. Of Yeah, it's almost this schizophrenic thing we go through of, no, I'm, I'm, I'm raised. I'm, I'm free from sin and yet uh, I still succumb and I give in to temptation and I am still a sinner. And that's that crazy thing of, uh, like when you come to the communion table, this this table is a table of fellowship. This is sinners communing with Jesus Christ. How can that be? It's because you are saved. But you are saved sinners. But this is this <coughs> table of fellowship that renews that communion that you really do have with Jesus because he still overcomes all your sin. So, um, <coughs> I don't know what's happening in my throat. <coughs> uh but um, that is th- this is the important stuff of knowing <clears throat> um, that you really have been raised, uh, that you really are united to Christ, 
and and this is where we do we come into the, and we have these thoughts of yeah but I don't feel resurrected like if if you I know my temptations I know my sin things in my life other people don't know about if you knew what I've done like today Blake you you like I don't feel resurrected and I'm with you like I <laughs> I get that but the reality the reality is not it's not how we feel and it's not what we see that we're told that the reality is what we are to believe that by faith we believe God's word is true uh, that as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 we walk by faith we don't walk by sight one day we will walk by sight in the new heavens and new earth right now we walk by faith and we believe as God has revealed that resurrection it is a present reality that your inner man your heart it has been brought from death to life and that's by faith in union with Jesus and and if you know that you also the real here's the really important thing if you know that you know that you can't remain the same that if you've been united to Jesus you can't just stay the same this is what we were talking about this morning too that our lives need to express this new reality so Paul Paul's not a moralist but he's also not a relativist it's like so you're right so you can do just go be free and do whatever you want no he says since this is true since it's the case that we have already been saved and resurrected Paul he levels this really big command to Christians uh, of what we've got to do now as believers who have been given this resurrection life he says because of Jesus you have resurrection life already so seek resurrection life now that's what he's saying you have resurrection life already so seek resurrection life now that's Paul's command. That's what the Christian's supposed to do. And, and that's where we want to say, wait, wait, I thought I already had resurrection life and now I got to seek it? <clears throat> yes. There is tension there that you got to hold on to. <laughs> that resurrection life is a present reality, a possession the believer has already through union with Jesus. And at the same time, resurrection is what we're still trying to reach at the end of all things. <laughs> that resurrection life is a realized condition but it's not fully realized it is resurrection life is both a possession and it's a goal for those of us who believe so only have just one more (laughs) page to get through I can do this this really bad tickle in the throat yeah sure we're handing out drugs here at our teaching series <laughs> it's because we're outside uh, yeah bring that too <laughs> okay here's the real tension of the not yet of our salvation uh, final judgment of the last day that's still to come like the resurrection of our bodies that's still co- <laughs> still coming uh, perfecting of our hearts what is this <laughs> That's not taking place yet. Okay. Like breathing. Breathing in pollen. This is the devil. Okay. Uh, Verses 3 and 4 of Colossians 3. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So right now our resurrection lives are hidden with Christ. Uh, At the second coming, when Jesus comes back, it's all going to be made really clear. No one's going to miss it. 
bodies will be raised, our souls will be reunited with our bodies in glory, open, openly manifested uh, for all to see. So the, the question is, we're told to seek resurrection life now. What does that What does that mean? Because that sounds ambiguous. That sounds like one of those things. Is, oh, that sounds you know really mysterious and abstract. But it's 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 actually not. We're not going to go through all of what he says here. I'm just going to summarize that what Paul does here is uh, he says, and this is really good news, is that it's clear here. Resurrection life concerns the life of Jesus, who is resurrected and ascended. So that's why he says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then in verses 5 through 11, what he talks about is all the, you know, all our idols and all the ways that we um, turn from Jesus to idols and sin. He does that in verses 5 to 11 and then verses, uh, and it's kind of in the middle of this too, starting in verse 7, then he tries to uh, switch gears and he talks about repenting, turning from that stuff and turning back to Jesus. So, all that to say, he's saying that this present resurrection life manifests itself in repentance. That seeking resurrection life is to seek Jesus. And it's really simple. And when you stop seeking Jesus and you turn to other stuff, resurrection life is, oh yeah, turn back to Jesus. Repentance. So you have resurrection life already. So seek resurrection life now. It's another way to say it is, listen, do you know who you are in Christ? So be that person who you are in Christ. That is is the Christian life in a a real little nutshell. Uh, Seeking resurrection life is to seek Jesus. And when we stop, we turn back and we seek Jesus again. Um, Now here's where we're going to get to... Francis is a very good question that faith uh, it ha- faith has an essential role it's this essential role in our being united to Jesus uh, I'm going to talk about the other the other side of it in two Sundays where it is God's uh, effectual calling of you which is the same thing as regeneration the power of the spirit coming into you that you cannot resist <clears throat> that's, that's like one side of this union and the other side of this union from our end is faith which is also a gift, so you can go work that out. Um, but this calling and this faith together, that's the twofold bond of union. <clears throat> so faith has an essential role in our being united to Christ. The, the way Calvin puts it is faith is fairly seen as the bond of union viewed from our side, viewed from the side of the one in union with Jesus. Okay, faith unites us to Christ so that his death and resurrection are my death and resurrection. In the sense that his death and resurrection, they're now effective in my life in a saving way. Okay, so it makes sense. Here's to Francisco. It makes sense, and it's right to put all that in an individual and personal way, to put those in individual and personal terms. You know, because here's the decisive issue. The decisive issue is whether you, whether I have been united to Jesus by personal faith in him. By our believing in Jesus. Okay, <clears throat> but that emphasis is not meant to deny, it is not meant to downplay those bigger corporate dimensions of union with Jesus. The two or three gathered in my, two or more gathered in my name thing. That is the call into fellowship with Jesus is at the same time and it is inseparably a call 
into the fellowship of the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So there is no union with Jesus uh, that is not also a union in the sense of fellowship with other believers. And that's why the, the, the biggest metaphors for the church in the Bible are the, the body, where it's got its, you know, it's got its diverse parts, but it's one body. The family, it's got many members, one family. You know, the temple building, yeah, a bunch of stones, but it's one structure, one building. And I love the temple building one. That seems the most, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, the one that's least intimate. But if you think about it, you know, family members, well, we're still distinct and you're there and, I, and I'm here. And well, there's the finger and here's the head. And yeah, we got this arm. But the stones are right on top of each other, cemented together. It's a super personal, intimate picture. <clears throat> uh, temple building, many stones, one building. So. Here, uh, here's my so what, and then we'll uh, do Q&A. Um, union with Jesus uh, is so important uh, because in our salvation, it keeps the focus where it needs to be, where it belongs, which is not in ourselves. And union with Jesus is, uh, it's also, it helps us uh, prevent becoming preoccupied with just one benefit which is what a lot of people do. They become preoccupied with just the one, one of the benefits that we get from Jesus. But union with Jesus, it, it, it focuses where the focus should be that is on Jesus. It does that from beginning to end. And the application of our salvation, as well as the accomplish it, accomplishment of it, and that we receive all his benefits. Um, and at the same time, it's important to appreciate, uh, it's important to appreciate union with Jesus uh, in order to appreciate the wholeness of your salvation. It's not, you can't just reduce salvation to the forgiveness of sins. It's that and so much more. And, and it's inseparably, all the benefits are inseparably tied to Christ's saving work. So here's just like for 30 seconds, think about just one debate. I know you've all probably heard of this. One debate in particular, it's gone on for a while in evangelical Christianity. Uh, can Jesus be your savior and not your Lord? Union with Jesus makes it really clear that that is not possible. That you cannot have Jesus as Savior and not your Lord. He, he's got to be both or he's neither. That you can't have your sins forgiven by Jesus without your life being given over to worshiping him and obeying him. That you can't have Jesus as your mediator unless you want to have him uh, in all three of his mediatorial offices. Uh, as in, you can't have Christ as your mediator uh, unless you, uh, you can't have him as the prophet, priest, and king. Those are his three mediatorial offices. So you can't have Jesus as your priest, that is uh, the sacrifice for your sins that secures your access to the presence of God. Like you can't, you can't have Christ as your priest unless you also have him as your prophet the one you listen to and as your king the one you submit to the the one who gets to tell you how to live and how not to live what's okay and what's not okay regardless of what the world says and all this is true because uh, in the matter of our salvation as calvin puts it again you have salvation in the whole christ 
Christ and all of his benefits. And all the, I keep saying that Christ and all of his benefits. It's all the good stuff you get with Jesus. From justification, adoption, sanctification, all you go down the list, down to perseverance, down to glorification. You get all of that when you get Jesus. Uh, there, uh, it, there is no half Christ uh, to which you are united. There is no Christ with only some of his benefits. You get, you get the whole, you get the whole person and all that comes with him. I'm going to end there. Uh, there's a lot more we could talk about, and a lot of it we will, um, talking about justification and sanctification. Um, so feel free to ask questions. If I think we're getting ahead of ourselves, I'll just say, let's hold on to that. But um, let me stop there and uh, take questions. Hugh. <laughs> I'll repeat it. <laughs> That's good. I think what that is, 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 so the question is, do you have a different union as you do as an individual reading your Bible, praying, than you do with a, the corporate body, two or more gathered in my name? No, it's the same union. Same union, but that union gets fleshed out. One, it, so here's one way to think about it. Like, how do you... Um, how do you express that union? How do you strengthen that union? How do you access Jesus in that union? What would y'all say? Like, I want more of Jesus. Was it the four loves? Means of grace. So I want more of Jesus. So I'm going to run to him. I'm going to run to him in his word. Uh, I'm going to run to him in prayer. Uh, I'm going to run to him in worship. Which is, which is why I am a true believer. Uh, historically, the Reformed Church would say that the three means of grace are word, prayer, sacrament. That's great. I think what we want to flesh out, though, is when, especially when you say sacrament, the Reformers all believe this, that the sacrament was to be experienced where? The sacraments of baptism and communion. Always in church worship. Never solo. So love Charles Spurgeon. I love him. He was wrong to take communion just solo, like by like it because that is and we could we could talk about that. I'd love to talk about that. I'm sure, Charles would love to talk about that and defend himself. Um, but let me just say shorthand that the way we the way we uh, pursue our union with Jesus is through these means of grace, and one of those means is this thing of where two or more are gathered in my name. There I am. Of we really really need each other. And to and to to uh, fully embrace our union with Jesus, it cannot be done solo. Of you need other people in fellowship, in the Word, in prayer, in love with one another, doing life together. And so, um, I think that's another one where I think we'll I think we will get to talk about that more with sanctification because we we'll want to talk about the means of grace a little more explicitly. But I, I think the sacrament. I, this is going to be another lecture, so I'm going to. But if you think about the sacraments, baptism and communion, baptism is this thing of it gets you into the church. It's the it's the sign of covenant membership, of entrance into the covenant. Communion is the thing that keeps you in the church. This thing of sinners coming before God, of him renewing his love and grace to you. 
so that you know, yes, you're a sinner, but you are forgiven and you are saved. Uh, it, it renews the covenant that we constantly break with our with our sin. Uh, yes, we break we break covenant, and God is faithful, is constantly renewing it with us. Um, and, and and the beautiful thing, I mean, this is this is maybe we'll pause there because I'm about to go off on another tangent with sanctification. But um, means of grace, how we pursue this union with Jesus uh, and experience it fully. You need other people. Can't. Is that why I wrote four? I, I can't remember. That may be the four loves. It may be. It's a very good question. Francis? Yeah, I think that's the, uh, that is, that's the, so Francis' question was, you know, knowing loved ones who they believe in, you know, they, they confess faith. You believe their, their, their faith is genuine, that they know Jesus, they know the, the gospel, they believe this stuff, and yet they are struggling with addiction. They are struggling with deep recurring sin that they cannot seem to move past. And not only they're hurting themselves, but they're hurting others. Um, you know, is this is this getting at? Does the distinction between inner man and outer man get at some of that? And yeah, I, I think I think it does. Uh, as far as I think, um, I think you can get to the place where uh, you you are struggling so hard with depression, anxiety, fear, uh, and addiction, where um, a Christian might even take their own life. And 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 I, suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Do not do it. If and I'm I'm being really serious here. If you're thinking about doing it, you need to come talk to me. Uh, do not do that. You you don't have the right to do it. That is a sin to take your own life. Uh, but it's not the unforgivable sin. Um, and so uh, I, I think it's this hard thing of where Paul Paul also talks about uh, this 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 struggle that he continued to have begging God to take it away from him. Don't know whether it was physical, mental, spirit, what it was, but he was told over and over by God, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Like, I'm going to let you continue to suffer struggle in this way. And I, I think everyone here can probably attest to just stuff that were, that is recurring in their life, whether it's a physical struggle or it is anger or it is, you know, control issues or whether it is, lust or whether it is that that there, there are things that plague 
some of us more than they seem to plague others of us. And wow, your struggle's not my struggle, but let me tell you about my struggle or, you know, that, that, uh, and, and I, that's not to downplay like real nasty, horrible addiction that's hurting people. Um, I think, uh, but I think, you know, without knowing the situation in full, I think there are people who, who Christians who can struggle in such a way that it seems like they are, they, that there's no way out, but perseverance Perseverance is not the same thing as assurance of salvation. Perseverance, which I think is the essence of faith, which I think the Bible describes as the essence of faith, is I keep going. I, I fail, and I'm going to go again, and I fail, and I'm going to go again. I fail, I'm not, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep begging or looking to Jesus. And my faith may look this tiny, but I still love Jesus, and I think I hate myself, and I, you know, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's possible. Um, I think it's also possible for, you know, people who are doing well and give lip service to Jesus, but are are not united to him uh, because they don't actually really believe. Um, but it's just, it's it's easier, it's cultural, it's this thing of, yeah. So, so and that's where I think you'd look at two people like, wow, this person's really doing good. And yeah, they say they believe in Jesus. This person's like terrible and in the dumps and uh but they say they do and they're struggling and they're struggling with their faith yeah that's where um you know the mystery of union with jesus is this uh i think it's there's stuff we we don't quite understand about how god works in each of our lives uh why he lets some of us suffer the way we do and others not um i do think we'll get to come back to that and, and speak a little more i'll get to lay out some terms of definitive sanctification, progressive sanctification, some of which is helpful, but just we'll get to talk a little more about that. Kim? It, yeah, that's in that it, and we, yeah, we didn't want to jump into, no, no, no we, uh, so uh, bringing up this point from first Corinthians, uh, let me just read this five eleven, um, cause I'll misquote it. <clears throat> um, so I, I'll read the quote and then I'll give some context to it. The quote, I'll read the verse. Uh, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Uh, so, um, in the, I mean, yeah, this is helpful. Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Um, that I think I think what, what has come into, I mean, what Paul is, and it's funny because Paul is in Corinth, as he's writing to the Thessalonians. Oh, sorry. So what do you do? Oh, so <laughs> that's the verse. And then like, so what do we do with that? Of, of we think that there are Christians who can struggle with these really hard things. And yet here it seems Paul's telling us don't have to do with like terrible sinners. And 
And so what I what I'd want to be careful to point up of the context of Corinth, what Paul is ta- what he's dealing with. This is after he's been to Corinth that he's writing First Corinthians. Corinth was maybe the most licentious, like crazy, crazy place, like Vegas on steroids kind of thing of just nutso. And and it gets into the church. And Paul is telling them this cannot be the he's so he's not saying he's not saying, hey, you've got an individual member who is struggling with sin. Don't have anything to do with them. He's saying this has become the norm in the church. You cannot this cannot be the norm in the church where you are free to do whatever you want. He, he's talking about a relativism that is like, we can just, we can live however we want. We've got, you know, the gospel of grace and we can, I mean, he's talking about an abuse of grace, of a, uh, uh, an antinomianism. I think that's the word I'm thinking of. Not neonomian, but antinomian, where it's, there is no law. We are free to live however we want because of the grace we have in Jesus. And Paul is saying what, what we're, what we, you know, what he's consistent in saying uh, no, listen, you cannot live however you want. You have resurrection life now. Seek resurrection life now. Um, and so, uh, but there is. And then it, there is this one. How do we love those in our midst who are really struggling? And I, I think we want to be really careful of just making a, a blank. Like, if this happens, we do this. If this happens, we do this. I think it's it's actually, it's it's harder. It's uh, uh yeah, it takes wisdom to know how to love it. You know, when we talk about discipline in the church, I know there are members are like, what's this discipline stuff? It's actually a good thing. It's coming alongside your brother and sister and saying, we got we, we to gotta get you back. You got to turn. You got to turn back to Jesus. Um, does that help? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I think we go this line. It's 442. Any other, and really, union with Jesus is this wonderful thing. This stuff will come up again with justification and sanctification. So, but this is laid, and this is, by the way, this is also the hardest stuff. Like, ju- like just as far as like comprehending some of this stuff, uh, justification, sanctification. I think uh, are a little, yeah. This is this is, it's a mystery. <laughs> so, yeah. Any other questions? All right. Then uh, let me pray for us to uh, end our time. Father, we praise your son uh, to whom you have united us by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, through the gift of faith. And we thank you for your grace. Uh, We thank you that we sinners uh, have been raised already and uh, even as we long for that uh, final day when you come back and you raise us up uh, uh, to uh, physical, glorified, complete, consummate salvation where we're free of sin and suffering and death. Uh, Lord, help us to think on these things and remember uh, who we are in Christ and the glories of our union with our risen Lord and Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.